I was in kindergarten, my teacher would periodically talk about the difference between right and wrong. As she talked and told us stories, she would absentmindedly click a red pen in her right hand. We'd fill out little worksheets with exercises that taught us the importance of taking our turn and waiting in line, not taking things that weren't ours and refraining from hitting and name-calling. All of this seems pretty second nature to adults, but as a kid, it can be a lot to take in. What is right and what you want aren't always in alignment. We have to work to understand this at first, and I think a lot of people forget that. At the end of the lesson, the teacher would collect our papers and sit at her desk, writing comments on each one with her clicky red pen. One day, the teacher was quizzing us about the right and wrong things to do in certain situations. When finally, in frustration, one of my classmates, a little boy named Jonathan, yelled out, How are we supposed to remember all of this? So many things are right and so many things are wrong. The teacher smiled and said warmly, You don't have to remember them all. That would be hard. Luckily, there is a little voice inside of you that always knows the answer. You just have to learn to listen to it. That's what we're really learning. Not to memorize and repeat the answers, but to listen and be brave. Wow, I thought. Immediately, I was awash in a sea of relief. Thank goodness Jonathan spoke up. Now I don't have to worry anymore because... Everyone hears the voice. I had always been afraid of the voice. It told me to do things the worksheets never dreamed of. Things that were big and dangerous. But I shoved the voice down, thinking that it meant there was badness inside me. I never did what it said because I was afraid. But now I knew that I wasn't bad and I didn't need to be scared. All I had to do was listen and be brave. Even though I had this revelation in kindergarten, it took a while to learn the lesson fully. I spent a long time at the edge of a precipice, teetering along, following the rules, being silent and afraid. I did all the things a little girl should. I grew up to be obedient, successful, beautiful and humble, but never really happy. I wasn't listening to the voice. Then one day, a day just like any other, I woke up and the voice had gotten louder. It became so loud that I could no longer shove it down and I remembered what my kindergarten teacher had told me many years before. This time, I closed my eyes took a deep breath and listened. Okay, voice, I thought, what do I do? For a moment, there was silence. And then there it was, as rich and booming and sure as it had been when I was a child. Break free, it said. How? I asked, feeling breathless and impatient. You know how, 
it said, ever steady and strong. You have always known how. You're right, I said, finding my breath and my calm. I was afraid, and I didn't listen. But I'm listening now. Good, said the voice. Then let's get started. I listened to the voice's instructions. I put on a beautiful, sleek black dress and shiny black boots. Clothing I had always convinced myself would be too much, and so it lived in the back of my closet. I gathered my hair into a neat ponytail. Every strand whisked off my face because I was no longer allowed to hide. I put on lipstick and painted my fingernails. I grabbed my mostly empty briefcase and the big shiny sunglasses my husband had left on his desk. With my briefcase on my shoulder, I put the glasses on. They felt powerful. I walked out my front door. All day, I did exactly what the voice told me to do. No questions asked. It felt big and right. I couldn't believe how brave I was being, and I didn't want to forget what that felt like. So every time I accomplished a task, I took a little reminder and slid it into my briefcase. By sunset, I had returned home. My husband wouldn't be done work for another hour, so I poured myself a glass of wine, went into my office, and closed the door. I took out my briefcase and slowly removed the objects I had gathered over the course of the day. A necklace from my mother, whose head I caved in with a shovel. A shirt button from my father, who I'd strangled with a belt. Guitar picks from a former boyfriend who sang about my imperfections. I locked him in his garden shed poured out his gas can and lit a match. And business cards from the realtor who had spilled wine on me at our closing. I stabbed her with the letter opener she had lying on her desk. I sat back in my chair and admired my accomplishments. I laid them out before me in a neat little line. You're not done yet, said the voice, but this time it was gentle, reverent, and proud. Oh, I know, I said, don't worry. Then I smiled and placed the big shiny sunglasses behind the line of trinkets, knowing I could only add them when I was done. This has always been my destiny, I said to myself. I don't know why I gave up. Then I opened the locked drawer in the bottom of my desk and removed one last object, something I had collected a long time ago when my hair was still in pigtails. A plus, I thought, excellent listening. And I put the clicky red pen at the end of the line. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead.
Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Fiends. Well, you know, I don't think we mentioned this last week, but we have officially crossed over into Women's History Month. Oh, yes. Yes. History of the women folk. Her so, story. Her story, if you will. <laughs> or if you please. I do, please. Well, then, all right. <laughs> this month, because of that, we will be covering all cases that feature women. Now, I chose that word very deliberately. Because <laughs> I was like, uh. <laughs> and because we've chosen to examine women involved in true crimes from a lot of different angles, mm-hmm. which I think has been very interesting. So not all of them are flattering, and that is fine and understandable, but they're all, to me, interesting. So like we have a lot of women victims, mm-hmm. like so many. Right. So, of course, we took this opportunity to examine women killers. Mm-hmm. But there are other angles, too. So um, stay tuned, you guys. This for other women involved in true crime cases. <laughs> I know. I made it mysterious <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> so we have some tricks up our sleeve. Ooh, like little magicians. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My sleeve is full of tiny magicians. And when I let them out, they do tricks. <laughs> not what I meant. <laughs> I meant like we're like me. Oh, oh that, yours makes more sense, but yeah. mine is better. I like that. <laughs> I'm just, I just pulled open my sleeve, hoping the tiny magicians would run out. Just little Neil Patrick Harris's. Little tiny ones, like a half inch tall. They just run out onto my desk and they're like, dubs. Yeah. <laughs> and the dubs are really tiny. Cute. I love it. Anyway, <laughs> that was fun. so for our women's history month we did start off with your very traditional lady serial killer jolly jane toppin who employed the cunning and quiet use of poison to dispatch of a great many victims and today we will march forward Mm. see what i did there yeah Yeah, because it's march with a lady cannibal killer yes this week we are talking about omaima nelson now, Omaima has just one victim, but none of what she did was quiet. Right. So this is a real script flipper when it comes to the trope of women in murder. Mm-hmm. This is violent and loud and everything we are told female murderers are not. Got to keep everybody on their toes. And I have to warn you all that there is some rather gruesome imagery that comes along with this case. The whole thing is very uh, Catherine Knight, if you can recall that episode from way back in the days when we sat at my kitchen table covered in quilts. Mm. I can't get her face out of my head. It's haunting. (laughs) All that rosacea and the glasses. (laughs) It's just so much. Haunting. I think of it every time I buy new skincare. Yeah. Speaking of that and gruesome imagery. Segway. While we're very good at relaying gruesome imagery, we don't really want to embody it. Yeah. And long hours hunched in front of a computer can make a lady downright hag adjacent. Mm. I do a lot of squinting, which is not good for the delicate skin around the eyes. Also could mean I need reading glasses, but we're not going to talk about that. I swear I get new wrinkles every day. Mm. And I've tried all kinds of remedies. Yeah. But I've never tried like the rib meat of my enemies. Ooh. No, I never tried that one. But who knows what the future holds? Anything's possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
But for now, I think I'd settle for a fancy little jar of buttery smooth <coughs> validation. A hill worth dying on. I thought I got you ready for that and you weren't ready. I just needed an extra minute, Allie. Okay. <laughs> but you know what, Leslie? We're in luck because it just so happens that our fiends can provide us with just that. How? And they can do it for free. For free? Yes. How? But how, you must be asking yourself. Yeah. I heard you do it. So good job. Well, I will tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. Mm -hmm. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention, attention equals support, and support equals more and better content for you. That sounds really great, doesn't it? Yeah. But if you just can't wait for more We Would Be Dead in your life, don't worry. You don't have to. What? Yeah, you can support us over on Patreon. Yeah. There, for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special mini-sodes, our weekly after-show post-mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are okay. You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us, giveaways, merch deals, and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons. So come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. That's really nice. I, I really enjoy the option of the uh, video or audio format of the post-mortem. Post yeah, it's mm -hmm. really nice. Yeah. We, uh, we like to mm -hmm. give options. Yeah. Some people see us and they're like, I want more of that. And some mm -hmm. people are like, just voices is fine. We just, we just <laughs> need the voices. Exactly. <laughs> That's not what I see in my head. So yeah. I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> That's so interesting. I wonder what people would picture us looking like had they never seen our faces. Right. Guys, if you've never seen our faces, if Ooh, you're brand new. Send in drawings. Oh, my God. Or a description. <laughs> Tell us. Or like if you had that moment where you heard us and then saw us and you were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Please tell us what you thought we looked like based solely on our voices. But do not send in like weird chopped up like magazine photos. No, I don't want that. Mm -mm. Like, no, no, no. A description? Like the Truman Show. Like, oh, God. You just like tried just to like figure paper out Paper dolls face. and stuff. Yeah. No, 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 no. We'll, just the description. Words are fine. Yes, please. Yeah. Put, that, put that in our Facebook group or send it to us because I think that would be a real treat to read. Yeah. We can't wait to see how they thought I was just so delicate looking. You are <laughs> very delicate ankles. looking. They're like, we thought Holly was a 78-year-old swamp monster. <laughs> she says it all the time. We just assume. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. I mean, Photoshop really does it the does trick It does wonders. Face tune and I'm immediately yeah. way younger. Anyway, if all of that is a little too much for you... <laughs> And honestly, who isn't it too much yeah. for? You can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts, Ooh. if that's the best way. Leave us a comment. Post about your favorite episode. Let us know when you're listening. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell that neighbor that you briefly dated a long time ago and like neither one of you talk about it now. What's their name? Ooh. Daniel. Oh, remember when you dated Daniel? Mm -hmm. 
And then it was weird when you broke up and you just never talked about it again. Yeah. And then you moved into this neighborhood and he lives there. Yeah. And you were like, what the fuck? Now I have to see Daniel every day? Yeah. And then you just like share like a rose bush with him. And yeah. you're just like, is that mine? Is that yours? Like who's supposed to take care of it? Mm-hmm. Then you ran like, into him when you were both going to like cut the dead heads off it. And you guys had an awkward but pleasant conversation. Yeah. Figured Daniel. it out. <laughs> oh, Daniel. Oh, Daniel. He's not too bad. Yeah. So then your friends and Daniel, who we've deciphered we like, yeah. <laughs> can become fiends and we can all hang out together. And I guess we can tell his new girlfriend. We especially don't Cheryl. talk about her. No. Cheryl doesn't live there, so we don't have to see her every day, whatever. Yet. Leslie. <laughs> Just out of sight, it's out okay. of mind. It's okay. All right, fine. <laughs> we ended it. Maybe she's nice. We don't know. It's okay. I'm moving on. <laughs> We could have this soap opera happen for, yeah. forever. That's our like spinoff patron thing where we're like, we just talk about our neighborhood for an hour. Yeah. Want to hear that? Yeah. <laughs> no scripts ever. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that's all I have in the way of news and tangents for this week. Right. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Um, We have a live stream coming up. We do. We should mention that. Okay. So that's on you, March you that. 15th. It's a Wednesday. And we're going to go live. I think it's at 8 p.m. Yeah. I have a um, Facebook event for it and we will share it over on Instagram. Um, And I am pretty sure that we are probably going to go live on Facebook, but it's not definite. We will keep you guys posted on how we do it. Facebook is usually where we have, we can get to the most of you. Yeah. So we have found that you'll get the most notifications if we go live on Facebook. It'll either be Facebook or YouTube, but um, Mm -hmm. we will keep you posted with the link. Yeah, and that will be our our annual St. Patrick's Day live special. I don't know why we are attached to St. Patrick's Day, but we have been since day one, and so here we are. (laughs) (laughs) That is our holiday for one reason or another, and so you're going to get a St. Patrick's Day special. As we're just like sitting in a room of all green. A green, very green. This room has green velvet curtains all on every wall. And it's covering a green. An already green green wall. We do like green. Love Maybe green. we do, though. Maybe we that's do. why. Yeah, it's my favorite color. I, me too. I was going to look down. I'm not wearing my green hoodie today. I have a green stripe on my shirt. And our ADHD just took over. <laughs> it has like six <laughs> times already. But it's been whimsical, so I've been okay yeah. with it. But yeah, so that's March 15th <laughs> at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And um, we will keep you guys posted with a link of where that live will be. Yeah. Live. Keep your eyes open. It's going to be really fun. It is fun every year. We talk mm-hmm. about Irish myths or old Irish cases. We make a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Sometimes John comes by and makes us delicious bread. No pressure, John, but like we're really counting on that. I know. I really need some bread. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we all get to hang out over yeah. our computer screens and check in. And it's really fun. So please and tune in. Every year we get a Leslie's Leprechaun lesson. That's right. That day will be a lucky day. <gasps> I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, please tune in for that. We can't wait to talk to you. We can't wait to talk about Irish stuff. We can't wait to get spooky. So, Leslie, do you have anything else to add before we begin? Um, no. All right, then. On with the show. It is Thanksgiving Day 1991. Get yourself into that space. Okay. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was festive as usual. 
Bart Simpson and Babara the Elephant made their balloon form debuts. Oh, you remember Barbara that one? The Elephant. I know. And he's in his little green outfit. I loved that show. Mm-hmm. This was when Macy's had like that. He was a big deal at Macy's that year. They had the stuffed animal, and his balloon mm-hmm. was in the parade oh for the first gosh. year. It was I mean, the best. Little core memory came out like there. Like my Bluey. Oh my God, I love Bluey. <laughs> we won't get into that now. Okay. The Don Bluth movie Rockadoodle. Do you remember that one too? Performed in the parade in creepy, uncanny valley style costumes. So it was like people dressed as people style roosters. Mm -hmm. I I don't like it very much. But we were so used to that by then. Yeah, we didn't care. (laughs) The cast of Miss Saigon transported us all to another place in time. The place in time where we would definitely see more Broadway shows that year, but didn't. (laughs) And Boys to Men brought it all home for the Philadelphians around the world. Pretty good year. Mm-hmm. Families gathered and ate turkey and stuffing, took naps before pie, and parents the world over steeled themselves in preparation for the Black Friday mayhem that began bright and early the next morning, ready to punch a middle-aged woman in the face if they had to to get the last Nerf bow and arrow set, Tycho Magic Copier, or Mattel Little Miss Singing Mermaid Doll. Mm. Those were the top-selling toys that year. Nice. Mm-hmm. President George Bush, the first one, addressed the nation from his post in Saudi Arabia where he had gone to spend the holiday with our troops. By nightfall, American families had settled down with their leftover sandwiches and empty houses full of dishes to watch, and it hurts me to say this, the 8 p.m. showing of E.T. on CBS. (laughs) Yeah, what was on TV that night? Everything else was reruns can find that information pretty easily. I, on the other hand, was cowering in my bedroom, plagued with alien nightmares, because seriously, fuck that guy. Fuck that little scab. I hate him. He was so nice. No. He's a good guy. Don't get... You know those are the exact words my mom used to make me watch that movie, right? (laughs) But Holly, he's a good guy. You have to watch it. More nightmares. No good. (laughs) However, we are not in New Jersey in my bedroom with terrifying alien nightmares right now. We are far away from frigid New Jersey. Remember when we still had seasons? In Costa Mesa, California, and there the weather was cool but temperate and windy, and the atmosphere was pretty much the same. Sleepy neighborhoods settled into a tryptophan-laced quiet, and cars in driveways not moving for the rest of the night. But one house in Costa Mesa left the lights on long into the night, and through its walls and windows, neighbors could hear the buzz of a garbage disposal and the sound of knife-hitting cutting board time and time again, late into the night and through the next morning. Hmm. The sounds went on incessantly for nearly 48 hours. Man, they must have had a hell of a dinner over there. For sure. I'm guessing that's what the neighbors must have been thinking to themselves. Oh, boy. They're going to have turkey soup for weeks. Mm -hmm. Bet they're putting some broth in the freezer. That's a lot of... Oh, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of turkey. A lot of breaking down. Yeah, for, do. sure, mm-hmm. for sure, yeah. But it is a, a cooking holiday, so mm-hmm. I don't know that you'd all together be super concerned if you heard somebody, like, very active in the kitchen for a long time. Right, yeah. So, and the neighbors, um, if if that is what they thought, I'm kind of projecting that onto them. They were, they were right about dinner, but not really about the soup. Mm. In this house lived newlyweds Bill and Omaima Nelson. Bill was a flashy 54-year-old pilot from Texas Mm. who drove a red Corvette and never shied away from a loud conversation. All right. So, flashy is putting it kindly in the words of his 1991 neighbors. 
I don't think it conjures the same images today. I think it's less effective, see? Because today, flashy and 54 looks like Gordon Ramsay and Mike Tyson and Salma Hayek, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. But back then, flashy and 50... Oh, sorry, he was 56. I got the year wrong. Sorry, guys. Back then, I guess flashy and 56 looked like um, an old man in a paisley shirt and cowboy boots. (laughs) Yeah. He did not wear his 50s like Hugh Jackman. Please don't get the wrong image. Mm. Flashy. Do have like sunglasses on? Not in any of the pictures I saw. Mm. He looks aged. Okay. He is not like a gallant, super handsome 56. Okay. And the word flashy back then, I guess, just referred to a very, very loud and polyester wardrobe. Mm. He loved a big collared patterned shirt. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, this was like 91, mm-hmm. but he's probably like still stuck in the 80s, I guess, maybe. 70s, more like 70s? it. 70s, mm-hmm. okay. Very 70s vibe, but not like cool comeback 70s, like dedicated 70s. Okay. Which I guess makes sense. He would have been like in his prime exactly. in the 70s. Exactly, on to it. Yeah. As for his new wife, Omaima was a 23-year-old Egyptian former model. Ooh beautiful. Mm -hmm. So this is an interesting couple to say the least. Yeah. By December 1st, the chopping and buzzing sounds had finally stopped. So I guess the neighbors were like, oh, guess you're done. All right. But for one Costa Mesa resident, this uh, cacophonous nightmare had only just begun. Early the morning of December 1st, Jose Esquivel heard a loud knock on his front door. He looked out his window and saw a red Corvette in the driveway, which was a car he was unfamiliar with. Now, I am assuming from the vantage point of whatever window he is looking at, you can see his driveway, but not the doorstep. He didn't know who was there, but he saw an unfamiliar car and was like, no, thank you. He figured it wasn't anyone he wanted to talk to and really who likes to talk to strangers Mm -hmm. or more likely it wasn't someone he wanted to have sell him something or like, you know. Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. (laughs) So Jose ignored the sound and the visitor went away. Fine. But they didn't stay away. Oh. Less fine. At approximately one o'clock that afternoon, the red Corvette returned and so did the knocking at the door. Now, one o'clock is a much more reasonable hour and they didn't seem to be going away this time. So Jose figured he'd answer the door and see what this was all about. But color him surprised because it was not a salesperson. There on his front stoop stood his ex-girlfriend, a beautiful Egyptian former model named Omaima Nelson. Okay. So he had dated her previously. And she, um, she was in quite a state when she showed up on his doorstep. She had cuts on her hands and scratches on her face. She looked panicked and disheveled. She had blood on her clothes. Her hair was a wreck. There were scratches on her chest, too. She just looked like she had been through some shit. Mm. So he clearly was like, okay, I'm going to need to listen to what this woman has to say. Yeah, sure. Scary. Yeah, that's very scary. I mean, can you just imagine that happening? Like, one of your exes is just, like, clearly very distressed and shows up out of nowhere on your doorstep. Mm -hmm. Something happened. Omaima breathlessly told Jose that her new husband, Bill Nelson, flashy, flashy Bill, had turned cruel in the months since they had been married. And on Thanksgiving night, he had tied her up and tried to rape her. In an attempt to defend herself, Omaima told Jose 
that she fought back with a lamp, a pair of scissors, and eventually a clothes iron. And in the struggle, she had killed Bill. Oh. Yes. Again, that arrived on your doorstep. Oh, my God. But she's not done. Oh. Yep. Okay. So that's quite a story. Why is she at his house? Right. Jose wondered through a haze of terror and disbelief. Well, she explained, she needed some help. Omaima told him that she had already begun disposing of the body, but she needed help removing the teeth from his head and getting rid of the various pieces she had broken him down into, some of which she had with her in a suitcase in the car. Okay. This. That is wild. Is, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty hard to swallow. If I was that guy, I would have been like, bullshit. <laughs> I need you to take a seat. Someone who has cre- like, clearly lost their mind. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you some water. You're going to tell me the truth. Right. But the crazy lady at your door then showing you the suitcase full of killed Bill really makes the situation pretty real, pretty fast. Right, right. Which she did. Okay. Right. Omaima then offers Jose $75,000 in exchange for these grisly tasks and his silence. What a Sunday afternoon. I'm going to, yeah, I would say. Wow. I mean, it's Thanksgiving weekend. It's Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Everyone still is stuff from Turkey. Yeah. You're like, oh, Christmas shows are starting to come on. Yeah. Mm, it's a nice time. Yeah. No. We're ushering in the Christmas season. No. Murder on your door. Like bag of guts. My gosh. I mean, it sounds like she did the majority of the work. It's almost she, like she, she was I feel like she was going over to a friend's house and just being like, Can you help me finish packing? Like, it's or like exactly just moving. like that. Yep. I did. I packed everything up. There's just a few loose ends. Mm-hmm. And then um, if I could just like borrow your car. To I just can't pull over. the teeth out of his head. Yeah. And I don't know where to put all these bags of body parts. Yeah. <laughs> but everything else is done. Other than that, like I'm, I'm good. I'm yeah. fine. But like, can you help me with these few tasks? Jose um, was like, oh, n- no. He was not <laughs> even considering this offer. But he was clearly considering how dangerous the woman on his doorstep could be if she wanted to. Yeah. And so he handled the situation with care. He said some derivative, I imagine, some derivative of, oh, no, thank you. I don't need $75,000 today. And I'm terrible with teeth and digging. So you better find somebody else. Take care of yourself, kiddo. (laughs) You got this. (laughs) Look at you. You did it. I'm what a failure I would be. Bye. And I guess she was like, oh, man, bummer and then left. He ushers her out the door. And then I imagine he probably locked it behind him, closed all his curtains and blinds and like screamed into a pillow real quick or something. Yeah. Threw up in the toilet. I don't know. You have to have some kind of like nervous system release after that happens. But then he, of course, had the presence of mind to call the damn cops. I'm assuming from like his closet or locked bathroom or something. I would be scared shitless forever if that came to my door. I would like, I'd have to move. I could never live in that house again. So... Jose gets the cops on the phone. He explains the whole thing that just happened and says, listen, I don't know where they live, but I do know what she was driving. She's in this like really expensive red Corvette. And I don't know if he had the license plate or not, Mm -hmm. or whether the car was just so uncommon that it was easy to find. And he said he suspected she might continue driving around looking for help. 
or at least she'd have to drive around the suitcase of drippy human parts until she found a place to dispose of it. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance they're going to find that car. Mm -hmm. The cops say, okay. And they said highway, highway patrol on the hunt for this, for Omaima and the red Corvette. And she did actually go to another friend's house, apparently. This comes up much later and there's no details on it because I guess the friend did not call the police. Mm. Probably okay. a lady. That was probably a lady friend <laughs> that was just like, I'll keep your secret, but I can't do the deed. That, listen, girl, you got to go. I'm going to forget this shit ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this person came forward like once the, it, the case went to trial and things, but like, Jose was the one to call. Okay. So. Jose is not the one you call when you need to bury a body. <laughs> no. Not if you're his ex-girlfriend. Like, yeah. I cut my husband up into bits. Want to help? Mm -mm. No, thank you. <laughs> well, she needed someone strong, so I guess I understand. Yeah. Plus, like, there aren't a whole lot of mention of her having, like, a lot of friends. Yeah. I don't know that she had... She moved around... We'll get to her history, but she did move around a lot. Mm -hmm. And I don't... And she... They didn't have, like, his family, obviously. Yeah. And I don't know that she had a whole ton of friends. Yeah, so it might have just been the only, like, the first person that's she, who she could to go ask. to. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, it didn't take long for authorities to find Omaima still driving around in that car and pull her over. And that would be December 2nd, 1991, so the very next day. So police pull her over and arrest her. And just like Jose said, there next to her in the passenger seat was a leather duffel bag with a trash bag on the inside of it filled with bloody body parts. Mm. Just driving that shit around? Okay. So uh, it's pretty hard to say that you're not guilty when this is how you're arrested. Right. You can't be like, I didn't do it. What's that? Like, that's, oh, my God. <gasps> <gasps> Who did that? Where am I? Who are you? <laughs> I know. I mean, like, that's, God, might have been your best defense at that point. But Omaima did not deny that she had killed her husband, but she did insist that she had done it in self-defense. Okay. Okay. Police think, let's get the scene processed, go to the house, move her on to psych and uh, bring in the prosecution and stuff. And, and let's get this show on the road. Pretty simple. But oh, how that simple it wasn't. Hmm. Investigators were immediately set to the Nelson residence. Mm. And <laughs> I know. It's going to be wild in it's there, isn't so it? It's so wild in there. While they didn't expect the scene to be neat and tidy or even easy to stomach because they had seen the bag of guts, they knew it wasn't going to be fun in there. But they, even in your wildest um, human cut-to-bits nightmares, you can't possibly be prepared for what they found. <laughs> it's just outside the realm of imagination. It didn't look like the chaotic home of an abused wife who murdered her husband in self-defense and panicked. It looked like a cannibal test kitchen. Oh. Yeah. Bill was everywhere. The house is a bloodbath when they go in there. I mean, there's blood pulled on the floor. There's blood on the walls. There's drag marks. There's stuff and parts. Ugh spread pretty generally out amongst the house. It smells so bad. It's been two days, so probably smells some, but you'll find out why not as much as it could have, I guess. And two days, yeah, it's going to be kind of gross, but not as gross as it would have been with more days. Anyway, huh, I'm going to start not in the kitchen because that's the worst part. I'm going to save that for last. 
In the bathroom, they found the largest piece of bill, and that was his torso and his lower body located in the bathtub. The lower half of his torso and top parts of his legs had been completely skinned. Ew. The bedroom mattress had been soaked in blood and drag marks led from the doorway. Now, the bedroom is also chaos. There's stuff thrown around. Clearly, this is where the struggle and the ultimate murder went down. They find the scissors, the lamp, and the iron that Omaima had mentioned um, she used Mm -hmm. in this crime. They found exactly what she said they would find. And clearly, they had been used, as she stated. But it didn't stop there. In the kitchen, they found trash bags that contained butchered and cooked parts of Bill mixed in with leftover turkey and side dishes from Thanksgiving. Hmm. And I think the intention there was to make it seem like all of it was turkey. Right, just to like hide it in plain sight. Exactly. Mm -hmm. His hands were found, now just his hands, deep fried in oil in a pot. And they were sitting in that pot still like blackened. A little nauseous. Yeah. There's more. (laughs) In the freezer, next to a tube of Zaki Farms ground chicken, a tub of margarine, the ice cube tray, and a jar of spaghetti sauce, was a large blood-stained plastic bin topped with a large round object wrapped in aluminum foil. The bin contained various chunks of bill. And in the foil was Bill's boiled head. I don't know so much why she was like, better put that in foil, keep it fresh. I don't know that she was. Clearly she wasn't thinking anything, but like still the foil is the, I mean, all of this is insane, but the foil always gets me like, what were you trying to preserve it for something? Uh, Maybe, who knows? Anyway, so they also found a large pot on the stove that had the evidence of the boiling inside Mm -hmm. of it still. Didn't do a lot of cleaning the dishes. The sink, with its constantly buzzing garbage disposal, was not too clean either. It appeared that a great deal of bill had been finely chopped and put through the pipes. But a garbage disposal is not a meat grinder. How many times do we have to tell you guys this? Ed Kemper tried it. Dennis Nilsson tried that in the toilet. It doesn't, you can't put it down the garbage disposal. Stop it. And eventually this stopped working and clogged up the pipes. Again, this is very Dennis Nilsson, but without dino rod to save the day. <laughs> he was flushing it down the toilet, but it is the same concept. Right, right. Now, this is a pretty overwhelming scene to walk into. Yeah. I mean, even for the most seasoned detectives and medical examiners, you it's very hard to know what to make of this shit. Mm-hmm. So they did the best they could. Medical examiners and, and probably people in hazmat suits come out and they bag up as much of the body as they can find. Bill, in life, was a very large and imposing man. He was 6'4 and 230 pounds. He's a big dude. So when all was said and done, authorities got together what they had, and it only weighed like 100 pounds. Okay. So where was the rest? Hmm. They asked Omaima. She said, he's all there. Clearly he was not. Her garbage disposal activity seemed to have been more fruitful than others because, remember, she spent 48 hours like chopping the stuff down into tiny bits and putting it down the garbage disposal. Mm -hmm. So 
apparently, like you said, she had really done a lot of the work already. She mm-hmm. just probably got tired. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot putting together a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> that is true. And cleaning up is the most tedious part. I know. There's so much stuff. So let's get back mm-hmm. to Omaima because the whole thing is far from textbook as they originally thought. Now, a psychiatrist was brought in to evaluate Omaima pretty much immediately. Yeah, Cops were like, oh, you got, you got a call psych. Mm-hmm. This is not, something's wrong. So the psychiatrist, you know, gets her into an interview and Omaima is it's very talkative and immediately tells her entire story, or at least at this point, what we believe to be the entire story. Mm. And it's not for the faint of heart. So Omaima explained that she had lived in Egypt for most of her life. And while there, she lived in a poor part of the country and was not treated well by men. She was abused uh, physically and sexually. And this is a part of a country in a culture where it's very male-driven. So, I mean, I'm not shocked to see that a young girl in a poor part of the country who was pretty defenseless was taken advantage of and, and hurt by men. It's sad, but, you know, okay, believable. Eventually, she was able, she and her mother were able to move to, like, a little better section of town, and she kind of got back on her feet. Eventually, she ended up working as a nanny and a a model and was able to make her way to the United States in 1986. So, Leslie, let's set the stage a little more fully. What kind of America was Omaima walking into in 1986? Was it a cool time? It was a great time. Was it as good as 1991? Uh, It was better. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, The movies to watch included Top Gun, Pretty in Pink, Little Shop of Horrors, Crocodile Dundee, Stand By Me, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That is a bang-up year for movies. It's good. It's a good time. Yeah. The most famous person in America was probably Paul Hogan, which is Crocodile Dundee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The notable books included um, It by Stephen King Ooh. and Love You Forever by Robert Munch. Munch. I don't know. That guy. Um, the funny guy <laughs> was Robin Williams. He is a funny guy. He is a funny guy. Uh, and then let's see what else happened. So 12 members of a Florida jury got stuck in the courthouse in a Otis elevator. That's the company name, Otis. We've talked about Otis elevators before. Okay. Um, they were stuck in the elevator for 20 minutes, and the jurors were hearing a case against the Otis Elevator Company. Oh, no. So Otis lost. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and they had to pay $135,000 in fines. Whoops. Yeah. Um, this was also the year that the um, space shuttle Challenger blew up. And so I that happened that. on January 28th, 1986. And it was, it happened 73 seconds into its flight, leading to the death of all seven members of the crew. This was the uh, flight that had the teacher, Krista McAuliffe, I think, McAuliffe. It looks right to me. Um, But was, uh, so she was one of the crew members. And because she was a school teacher, millions of young students had to watch this happen, which is like so sad. I mean, I watched it. Yeah. I mean, I, Everybody would have watched it. But I, like, it was wheeled into my classroom on a television for us to sit exactly. down and watch. Exactly. So, yeah, kids across America would have been watching it. But then to, like, watch your actual teacher It must be your up. teacher? What a nightmare. Yeah. So crazy. James Cameron got the approval to make aliens by writing the word alien on a board and then adding an S and turning it into a dollar sign. 
That's all it takes, folks. That's all it takes. All it takes. <laughs> I'm going to pitch us to lots of places as murders with an S that's a dollar sign yeah. and see if they pick us up. And they'll go, wow. Holy moly. All I see is money. That's a surefire hit if I ever heard one. Yeah. <laughs> I know. The dollar sign told you. <laughs> uh, the little company Pixar started oh, no. as a computer division of Lucasfilms in 1979. Then George Lucas sold the company to Steve Jobs and renamed it to Pixar in 1986. And now both Lucasfilms and Pixar's are the sister company of part of the Walt Disney Company, as mm, we know. There you go. I didn't know that they sold it to Steve Jobs. I didn't either. I didn't know that part. A teacher named Pleasant Roland Ooh. created the first American Girl dolls. Oh, that's why it's the Pleasant Company. <gasps> Did not realize that. I didn't know that either. Um, and then Mattel bought the product line in 1998. The term going postal originated from a mass shooting committed by a U.S. Postal Service employee, Patrick Sherrill, in an act of workplace rage, and 14 people were killed in the rampage. Yeah, that, that case, case is grim. Yeah. <laughs> and then fun fact, camcorders, camcorders started to become a regular household item. Oh. Oh, my dad never gave up the giant one that you have to sit on your shoulder. Yeah. Like there were better ones. Mm -hmm. There were advances. He never bought another one. That was the one we always had. His whole life. Yeah. Until it was an iPhone. Yeah. Or like if he went to, so like when my parents went to school functions, they yep. would set it up in the yep. aisle. <laughs> yep. Or he'd be standing there with it on his shoulder for like yeah. hours. Yeah. <sighs> oh, the good old days. And Holly, there were some good songs this year. There were. There really were. Let's talk about them. All right. So this is the number one song of the year. I'm going to see if you know what it is. Okay. Okay. Or who sang it. Okay. Oh, boy. Keep smiling. Keep shining. Knowing you can always count on me. For sure. <laughs> that's what friends are for. Yeah, that's good. I don't know it in key, obviously, but I do know that's the song. I don't know who sang it, though. You don't know? No, who sang it? Uh, Elton John, Gladys Knight, Dionne Warwick, and Stevie Wonder. I don't know because there's 100 people. Okay, got it. <laughs> you just needed to pick one. I know. <laughs> For good times and bad times. <laughs> okay. Just join me, join me in on this one when you're ready, okay? Mm-hmm. I can feel you breathe. I can feel your heartbeat faster. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is, um, take me home tonight. Yeah, I don't want to hear going to something. I <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I know all the words flawlessly. <laughs> uh, that was Take Me Home Tonight by Eddie Money. Eddie Money. Yeah, I knew mm -hmm. that one because mm -hmm. that name is catchy. You know, unlike Elton John <laughs> <laughs> and Stevie Wonder <laughs> and everybody else. Lord. Right. <laughs> How about this one? She's got it. Yeah, baby, she's got it. I'm your Venus. I'm your fire. What's your your desire? desire. Yeah. I was one of those girl groups. The, the Bangles or the Go-Go's or the Bangalogos. It's like a fruit. Which one? It's like a that? fruit and a party. A fruit and a party? The, the apple pinatas? Close. <laughs> That was the song called Venus by Bananarama. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Mine was better. I'm going to name my band Apple Piñata. I like it. It's so good. See? It's such a good kid's 
kids group. (laughs) I'd hire you at the birthday parties. Mm. All right. uh, Last one. Shot through the heart. And you're to blame, darling. You gave love a bad name. I like it. Okay. Who was that? That was Bon Jovi. Sure was. I'm from New Jersey. I would be executed if I got that wrong. What exit is his? Oh, I don't know his exit. Is his um, rest stop at? Oh, they changed it. It used <laughs> didn't it used to be Cheesequake? Isn't that Bon Jovi now? I think it's like so. way up by New York. Is that is that Cheesequake or is that because Cheesequake was always the good one, wasn't it? Yeah, but I don't think Bon Jovi's is good. Unless oh no, is his good? But um, shit, no, oh, no. Who's the author? The uh, the my favorite author that we grew up on. That one. Um, it's in South Amboy Bon Jovi Service Station. I don't know what it used to be. Judy Bloom, I was thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah that's a service station. Yeah, too. she has a terrible service station. I think that's like 79. Oh, no, she has a terrible one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what exit it's on. Uh, post biomarker 124. Yeah, so it's way up there. Yeah, yeah. This doesn't say if it used to be Cheesequake or not. I think that's the Cheesequake one. I think so too. Yep. <laughs> Nobody's a. Dr- we may have to edit this part out, but. We have a lot of New Jersey people. They're probably all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. There you go. <laughs> Anyway. All right. So that was 1986. All right. So that's, aside from the rest stop stuff, that was the, um, because it was Cheesequake then, I think. That was the America that Omaima walked into. She came here from Egypt. So once she got here, she had encountered a string of men who mistreated her. She basically said she just had got with a lot of the wrong guys, Mm. you know. And nothing seemed to go right for her until one night she went to play pool in a Southern California bar. There she met a tall, older man from Texas with fancy clothes and an expensive car. And that was William Nelson. Call him Bill. And he was a pilot and a pretty impressive pool player. He's like a fast-talking, slicky boy type guy. So he was like, he had money and he liked you to know that he had money. Bill thought Omaima was the most beautiful thing he had ever seen, and their romance was fast and furious. Bill was nice to Omaima and wanted to take care of her, and to her, this is pretty refreshing. Not mm-hmm. what she's experienced with men before, so she is all in real fast. After a month-long courtship, during which time the two moved in together, so this is moving real fast, Bill and Omaima uh, decided to get married. Hmm. Yeah, okay. that's all it takes. And because this is a pretty momentous event and the holidays were approaching, the pair planned their honeymoon in Texas, where Bill was from, so his beautiful new wife could meet his family. Now, this is not like his kids, because he has kids. This is like his, you know, his immediate family, like parents and sisters and brothers and stuff. Okay. Um, His kids had no interest in meeting this woman. They were like, no, thank you. I do not need to meet your wife, who is um, younger than some of us. Oh, wow, yeah. So he had kids and some of them were older than his wife. They did not love that. Not many kids would, Bill. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, let's be, let's be perfectly fair. So a month after their wedding takes place, they go to, they road trip to Texas. This is their honeymoon. I would never want my honeymoon to be like staying with my husband's family, but that's what they did. So he, they go to Texas. And during this time, Bill seems to turn on Omaima. That's what she said. Remember, this is her side of the story. She says, suddenly he wasn't the kind man he once was. He became mean and demanding and abusive. And worst of all, 
his sexual appetite had become completely insatiable. Mm. Bill had been demanding sex from Omaima several times a day. We're not talking like twice. We're talking like four or five times. And it was not an option for her to say no. If she did, he had begun to hold her down and force himself on her. And this, I don't give a shit if you're married. This is rape. It's always rape if yeah. you do that. doesn't matter. The marriage quickly became intolerable. And that sounds pretty intolerable. On the way back from Texas, while demanding she give him oral sex in the car, Bill became infuriated with her attempts to decline. And he screamed at Omaima that he had bought her and he could do with her whatever he wanted. Mm. Not great, Bill. Not great. Not on your side right now, buddy, or ever, but whatever. Then when she seemed to still be repulsed and afraid, but also devastated and consolable, Bill took, oh, warning, warning, animal warning. Bill took the kitten that Omaima had brought with her, which is a, like a brand new little pet, and threw it out of the car window. Oh. They didn't turn around. We don't know what happened. Kitten's bones are very bouncy. It may have survived. We do not know if it's dead. They always land on their feet. They do. And maybe it landed in the grass and it tumbled and it was fine. And then it went on like a fun little adventure like Otis and Milo. Exactly. But not like what actually happened. No, 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 no. It found a very nice uh, old cat lady in the woods and lived very happily. Yeah. So it actually was a better result because had it stayed in the house, like it would be pretty traumatized. Yeah. Just saying. Okay. (sighs) Okay. We're all right. But things at home are not great. And so the pair head home for Thanksgiving weekend. On Thanksgiving night, after dinner had been cleared, Bill told Omaima that they were going to have sex, and this time he wanted to tie her up. Mm. And this is something he had asked for before because he was apparently really into bondage, and he wanted to tie her to the bed to, like, minimize struggle. And Omaima did not want this at all. She hated this idea. For someone who had been abused against their will as a child, like, you don't, this is terrifying. Right. She tried to tell him no, but he wouldn't take no for an answer, and then he lunged at her. This time, though, something came over Omaima, and she fought back. She grabbed whatever was closest to her, and that happened to be a lamp, and struck Bill over and over again with it. And he may have been a lot bigger than her, but she was younger and in a lot better shape. Once the battle had swung in her favor, she grabbed a pair of scissors and began stabbing Bill over and over and over. And by this time, they had ended up on the bed. When the stabbing didn't seem to be finishing the task, because at this point, a tether deep inside Omaima's head had broken and she needed to finish the job, Omaima grabbed a clothing iron and beat him over the head until he was completely dead. Mm. Now, after this, things turned strange. We could argue that that was strange. I'm going to say. <laughs> but anyway, Omaima walked away from this horrifying scene, collected herself, and changed into a red dress and heels. Oh. Now remember, this is what she is telling a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Then she butchered her once husband. First, she castrated him in revenge for all of the sexual abuse. And then she broke down his body into pieces. His hands went into a pot of boiling oil to like a frying situation because she wanted to burn off the fingerprints. Mm -hmm. And his head went into a boiling pot of water to render it unrecognizable. The rest she chopped and chopped and chopped and chopped. Some went into the garbage disposal, a lot went into the garbage disposal, and some went into the oven on trays. At one point, she removed a tray that contained selections of Bill's ribs. And because it looked so much like food, she couldn't help but take one, dip it into barbecue sauce, and give it a taste. 
Oh, she did eat it. This is what she is telling with her own mouth to a psychiatrist. Okay. Here's the quotation. Quote, I did his ribs just like in a restaurant, she said. She sat down at the kitchen table to make a, you know, a nice experience out of it and then said, quote, it's so sweet. It's so delicious. I like mine tender. Not a good look, Omaima. Not a good look for you either right now, my friend. I mean, like, this, this, this is not defensive killing. This, you don't, you aren't defending yourself at this point. So it's pretty hard for legal to wrap their mind around that. Yeah. Yeah. This is where I always have the issue though. Cause it's like, she, I think it, so if her story is real, mm-hmm. then that was self-defense, but then she had a break. Which we're going to get into. Okay. Yes. So what Omaima said that while all of this was happening, she was essentially in a fugue state, basically blacked out. Mm-hmm. She described it as, quote, something inside me told me I had to do it, like demons. That's pretty classic mm-hmm. psychotic behavior. Yeah. Pretty soon, Omaima realized she would have to dispose of this whole mess. Can't leave that out in the open. And uh, she knew that she, she knew enough to know that the teeth in the head would be a problem. People can be identified by their teeth pretty easily, um, which is where the trip to see Jose came in and the cops got called. And there you have it. Okay. So boy, oh boy, the psychiatrist, after hearing this whole thing, thought a couple of things. One, very clearly this woman is experiencing some form of psychosis. This is a break with reality of some kind. Nobody just does this. Mm -hmm. And from the little they knew of her, they suspected that there must have been reasons why. And so they probably should dig deeper. Now, Omaima's defense attorney has entered the chat at this point. And he knew that they were definitely going to have to form a case. Like, there's no way this isn't going to trial. This is a big deal. They would need to form a not guilty by reason of insanity plea, which Mm -hmm. seems appropriate here. Um, But as we know, it has to be pretty convincing for that to work. Or it has to be 1901 during the height of the moral insanity revelations. Either Mm -hmm. one works. But since it wasn't 1901, the defense continued to work into digging into Omaima's troubled history, and really forming their their case that way. But the prosecution had other theories, and they had done their homework as well. At this point, this whole thing looks pretty sympathetic for Omaima. Yes, she lost her fucking mind and did some pretty wild stuff, but people who are systematically abused have their breaking point. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. I'm not saying everybody who is abused kills somebody, but there are some people who, like, they just max out. We've seen it before. Nobody deserves to be chopped up and cooked or ground up into garbage paste, but it seemed that Bill had a hand in his own undoing, yeah. to put it delicately. He had driven his young wife to violence with other violence. And um, that's, that's where we are now. But the scenario becomes just a little less plausible when the abused person in question has a history of violence against their partners. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, psych, like, psychology-wise, we can argue that. But in just a legal standpoint, this becomes a case against her, obviously. Okay. Because it's a history. As it turns out, the prosecution was able to uncover several men Omaima had dated since moving to the United States in 1986. And all of them said she was pretty manipulative, had kind of bribed them into a relationship with sex, acted like she was super into them, and then took their money and ran. Okay. And there are this is all blurry. What exactly she did to these quote-unquote other men, I don't have a lot of concrete sources. There are some that say she stole cars. There are some that say she sold money at gunpoint. There's a lot of different, she did some shady shit to guys. But let's just put it that way. She, she was taking stuff from men when she could. Mm-hmm. This is the one that we do have 
a concrete evidence for. One man, his name is Robert Hansen. He's not the serial killer from Alaska. Different Robert Hansen. What if he was? That'd be wild. It would be wild. So he told police that the uh, previous November, so she has a habit of doing this shit in Novembers, she told him she wanted to have some adventurous sex. This is when they're dating. She's like, let's spice it up. I'm going to tie you to a chair. And he's like, that's hot. So she does. Once he's unable to move, Omaima pulls out a handgun and demands all his money. And he's like, what the fuck? And she's like, I want your money. And she continues to hit him with the barrel of the gun and demand cash until he tells her where she can get it. She takes it and she leaves. Mm. Now, Robert had reported this to police and now he was all too willing to take the stand. So this is a chain of events that they can trace. So for Bill, he did have some money. He worked as a pilot and he was pretty successful. He had a somewhat spotty past, though. Bill had been arrested in the, I think in the 70s, it just said in his past, for smuggling a large amount of marijuana on his plane. Mm, So then having the bad sense to get caught with it. So he did three years in jail for this, but then returned to his life and did pretty well for himself. He relocated to California. Remember, he's from Texas. Mm -hmm. He married a woman in Santa Barbara and had a few kids. But then it's blurry as to what really happened with her. We just know that they became estranged and he's living out on his own. Funnily enough, though, um, they never got divorced. Oh. So he was still married. Okay. To this woman. No wonder the kids were not happy. Yeah. Now, there are no legal documents stating that Omaima and Bill had also ever officially gotten married. There's no marriage certificates. There's nothing like that. They call him, call uh, in a lot of um, sources, they're called common law married. But common law marriage is an arrangement that exists because of time. Yeah. So if you're cohabitating with someone you're in a relationship with for seven or more years, then you are considered common law married. That's not what happened here. They were only together for a month and married for a month. So different. They just said they were married. I don't know. Because, and probably because in California, they actually couldn't get married. He's already legally married. That's bigamy. Right. Can't do it. So, yeah, Hmm. this is an interesting little um, bump in the road for me because when you consider that they're forming this case, we can see into the future. I'll get to the rest of it in a minute. Call her gold digger, right? Mm -hmm. Not his wife. His wife is alive. If he dies, she doesn't get his money. Right. But did she know that? Because I'm wondering if he, like, if they did, like, a fake ceremony of sorts, then, you know? It's never made super clear, but I think she knew they weren't legally married. I mean, they didn't have, like, a wedding wedding. There's no, there's nothing. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah, this is very interesting. It's a very interesting loophole to me. And and we'll come back to why in a few minutes. Yeah. I've mapped it out kind of, but we'll we'll get back to it in a second. So, Bill did, however, draw in a substantial income. He liked to spend it lavishly. As we said before, flashy car, flashy clothes, liked to talk about all the money he had. So when Omaima met him, it would be obvious that this was a wealthy man. Mm -hmm. And if she was looking for someone to like hook in and take for all they were worth, he'd probably be a pretty good candidate. She was way out of his league. It's like wild. And and it's obvious how much money he had to spare because remember, she offered Jose Mm $75,000. That's That's not money you just have hanging around. Right. So medical examiners also chime in with something that's a bit troubling to the defense. Medical examiners couldn't find a lot of details about Bill's death because he's so Mm -hmm. broken apart. And there's a lot of him missing. 
But they did have a few clues as to what happened. And one was his ankles. Even though they have been damaged, they still bore the marked bruising that is distinctive of ligature binding. Oh, like she tied him up. Yes. It seemed as though his feet had been tied down while he was still alive because you don't bruise when you're dead. Oh, okay. I was going to say maybe like when she was dragging him or something, but... No. Okay. In order to bleed under your skin, you have to still be alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from all these bits of information, the prosecution puts together their own theory, and that is that Omaima had lured Bill into the bedroom with the promise of kinky sex that night. So she told him she was going to tie him up and it was going to be like a wild night. But once she had him secure, she kills him so that she could take his money. She had planned to do this all along. That's why she started dating him. That's why she married him. He was nothing more than a mark. Omaima, in their opinion, was a bona fide black widow. Mm. Which again brings me back to the fact that like, Yeah, yes, but women who are considered gold diggers or black widows or whatever you want to call them, they have legal claim to this money usually. Right. They have married people or they have taken out life insurance policies or something where they're definitely going to get a payday. That is not here. She has no assurances of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little, I don't know how hard I buy that, the planning and stuff. Right. So like, yes, she might have been with him for his money, but... Like, in more, like, maybe for security in yeah. that sense. And then it did turn ugly. Yeah. But I don't I think don't it was a plan all along. And if it was, there are so many flaws in it. Right. Now, given that Omaima did, did, she did kill and maybe eat her husband, the title of Black Widow seems more appropriate in this case than ever before. But if you want to get technical about it, it's not. Because, speaking of Black Widows, just yeah. tangent for a minute, mm-hmm. of the 31 species of widow spider, only two engage in sexual cannibalism. Mm-hmm which is eating their mate. And those are the brown widow and the Australian redback widow. So Catherine Knight, yes, black mm-hmm. widow, Australian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Omaima Nelson, no. no. Egyptian and American, none of those live there. Yeah. So wrong title. <laughs> but this leads me to the concept of sexual cannibalism in general now and the female cannibal killer. So last week we talked about how uncommon lady serial killers are, right? But the cannibal ones... That's kind of a different story. Yeah. Weirdly so, right? Because I started writing this going like, a female cannibal killer, shocking and and unimaginable. But you know what? It's not as much as you think. First of all, in the animal world, females are far more likely to engage in cannibalism than males. It is sexual cannibalism. Mm. Often eating their mate after they, you know, procreate. And sometimes they eat their young, you know, like hamsters. Right. We all have... (laughs) We all have hamster trauma, so y'all remember that. (laughs) Um, And in humans, males are more likely to commit a sexual form of cannibalism, like as a fetish. That's true. But if you take it out of the context of the bedroom and the gendered playing field is pretty leveled. Okay. It happens if it's not a sex thing, Mm -hmm. gender doesn't really play into it as much. Yeah. I mean, like... You know, when you're just looking at a really cute baby, you're just like, I just want to eat you. You're just so good. Oh, no. That's a I get it. Like, that's all women. Men don't do that. <laughs> True. And they're like, you're just so cute. I just want to eat you up. And and in the in the grand sense of the system, we are animals. And yeah. women are women animal, lady animals, female yeah. animals. What are they? Okay. Mammals. They're more likely <laughs> to eat their mates or their children or somebody yeah. else. 
So, I, I mean, I believe that. You didn't even I have know. to tell me that. I, isn't I it weird? Just, like, I would assume. <laughs> I sat there and went, uh, oh. John John is editing this right now, being like, he hates I knew it. it. Hates it. I know. But if it's like a, a weird, like, sexual proclivity, that's mostly dudes, which we covered in okay. Armin Mivis. Go back and listen to that one if you have the stomach and the time and you really want to know more about it. Um, so anyway, I just thought that was very interesting. So rabbit holes and about animals and cannibalism aside, this is all pretty compelling stuff. And on both sides of the of the courtroom, if you ask me, they both have pretty interesting cases. Yeah. So clearly it was enough to go to trial. And um, in the days since her initial confession, so Mima's put in jail to await her trial, right? A lot of, a lot of times this takes a long ass time. And in the days after that first insane interview with a psychiatrist where she's like, I put on a nice outfit and I ate my husband's ribs mm-hmm. with some barbecue sauce. She uh, backpedals and is like, no, I didn't eat him. I would never do that. I'm not a monster. And the prosecution was like, um, if if not eat, why cook? Right. And she was like, mm. I just, it de-stresses me. She just didn't really have much of an answer no. there. She could, all, I wonder if she's also like, compartmentalizing at this point. Yeah, and she's also coming out of the fugue state. Her psychiatrist said that the first time he interviewed her, he believed her to still be in a psychotic state. Mm -hmm. And at this point, she is no longer in that state, so her memories might be different. Right. But which one is more accurate? Right, right. Like, are you remembering wrong when you're in a psychotic state or are you remembering your state accurately while still in that frame of mind and then forgetting it. Isn't that weird? Yeah. We can't really tell. And there's no way to tell. There's really no way to tell that at all. So we don't really know. So then for an entire year, almost to the day, Omaima sat in prison and awaited trial. On December 2nd, 1992, her case went to trial and the prosecution produces its its Black Widow Gold Digger case. They bring out Robert Hansen and his story about her tying him up and taking his money at gunpoint. They take statements from other men. They bring forward Bill Nelson's family, including his children. And they paint a picture of Omaima as a very calculating black widow sitting before the jury in the form of a small woman with dark hair and almond-shaped eyes. But then the defense's turn comes up and Omaima herself takes the stand. She describes for the jury a person who was very different than this black widow the prosecution laid out for them. Omaima explains to them that she had been born in 1968 in a slum in Egypt to an incredibly controlling and abusive father. She tells them that at a very young age, her father began beating and raping her repeatedly Hmm. before he eventually took her to a squalid hut where she underwent a procedure that we now refer to as female genital mutilation. And I have a weak stomach for this one, you guys. There are some things that get us all, and this is one for me. So Leslie kindly offered to take the reins on this topic this week. So I'm going to turn it over to Leslie to let you know what this entails. All right. So this is pretty much covered the same way across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of this is straight from the sources. But female genital mutilation comprises all procedures that involve partial or total removal of the external female genitalia or other injury to the female genitalia organs for non-medical reasons. The practice has no health benefits for girls and women and causes severe bleeding and problems urinating and later cysts, infections, as well as complications in childbirth and increased risk of newborn death. Um, Yeah. 
It is classified into four major types. Type one is clitoridectomy, the partial or total removal of the clitoris, which is the small sensitive or erectile part of the female genitals. And in very rare cases, only the prepuce, the folds or skin surrounding the clitoris. Then there's type two is the excision. That's the partial or total removal of the clitoris and the labia minora with or without excision of the labia majora. And the labia are like the lips that surround the vagina. And then type three is known as infibulation, the the narrowing of the vaginal opening through the creation of a covering seal. So the seal is formed by cutting and repositioning the inner or outer labia with or without removal of the clitoris. And I can show, I mean, it's kind of sad, but it will help with like a diagram because I think it's important to see like what's actually happening. So we can like possibly post that because it's it's everywhere. It's like on all okay, these I was sites. Gonna say, I don't know if it's going to get flagged. We're going to have to see. I don't know that can. it would. It's like on other sites. Okay. But if it if it doesn't, maybe we'll have to like um, we might have shade to it. Or yeah. yeah. If, we, if we can probably make it palatable for mm-hmm. the social media gods. Yeah. The there's like different wizards. kinds of, there's like ones that are just like little cartoon looking. Yeah. First, like, yeah. All right, and then there's a type four, which is all other harmful procedures to the female genitalia for non-medical purposes, like pricking, piercing, incising, scraping, or cauterizing the area. (sighs) Yeah, so immediate complications of FGM, which is how they shorten it, can include severe pain, excessive bleeding, genital tissue swelling, fever, infections, tetanus, urinary problems, wound healing problems, injury to surrounding genital tissue, shock, death. Yeah. Um, long-term complications can include urinary problems, uh, vaginal problems like discharge, itching, uh, bacteria infections. There's menstrual problems because sometimes it's sewn up so so tightly that there's just these small areas in order to like let that out. Um, scar tissue uh, issues, sexual problems. So like pain during intercourse because people will have sex with them when they're like this. <laughs> oh yeah. And just overall decreased satisfaction even after they might, um, say like if they were sewn up, if they unsew them, they might no longer feel any pleasure. That's and obviously like, with other things gone. That's like the big thing is that if you have a, on your wedding night, you get to break through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, increased risk of childbirth complications um, because there could be difficult with the delivery, excessive bleeding, um, yeah, because you're issues. totally mutilated down there. A need for later surgeries, for example, the sealing or narrowing of the vaginal opening may lead to the practice of cutting open the sealed vagina later to allow for sexual intercourse and childbirth. And sometimes general tissue is stitched again several times, including after childbirth. Hence, the woman goes through repeated opening and closing procedures, further increasing both immediate and long-term risks. Plus and then um, psychological problems, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, low self-esteem, etc. Mm-hmm. So an estimated 200 million girls and women from 31 countries across three continents have been subjected to the practice. Many before the age of 15. So the most of them occur... Um, newborn, like infants to 15. Despite being internationally recognized as a human rights violation, female genital mutilation persists for various reasons. No matter where or how it is performed, it can cause extremely or extreme physical and psychological harm. 
So why is it practiced? Numerous factors contribute to the persistence of the practice, yet in every society which it occurs, FGM is a expression of deeply rooted gender inequality. Mm-hmm. Some societies see it as a rite of passage. Others use it to suppress a girl's sexuality or ensure her chastity. It is not endorsed by Islam or Christianity, but religion, religious texts are commonly deployed to justify it. Where FGM is most prevalent, communities may deem it a prerequisite for marriage or inheritance. This makes it difficult for parents to abandon the practice. And families who don't participate face ostracism, uh, their daughters at risk of becoming ineligible for marriage. Today, a girl is about one-third less likely to be subjected to it than she was 30 years ago. So this would have been around the time of Omaima. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, still sustaining these achievements in the face of population growth presents a considerable challenge. By 2030, nearly one in three girls worldwide will be born in the 31 countries where FGM is most prevalent, Mm. putting 68 million girls at risk. God damn. It's like very sad. It's super sad. And um, so speaking of Egypt, Egypt would be one of those main countries where this is done. um, And there is a lot of fight against it. Um, One of the strange facts is is that it is um, actually a lot of men speak out against it. Um, Can't be fun for them. But sometimes it's the moms who still ask for it and it's mostly out of fear because they're afraid if their daughters don't get it done that they won't be married, they won't get an inheritance because that is still the norm. Yeah. And so there's actually a lot of, um, a lot more doctors are actually performing the procedure, then it would be like, I don't know, almost like a back alley kind of procedure. Well, yeah, I was going to say, this, these procedures are not performed in hospitals. They're performed in places with absolutely no sanitation and frequently a dirt floor. So, yes, yeah, sometimes, but um, it's becoming more prevalent that actual medical professionals are performing these. And it's mostly because they are denouncing it, but they do it out of a way of like making sure that if it's going to get done anyway, that it's at least sanitary and maybe they can help and maybe they can educate. Like maybe when the person comes in, they can maybe talk to them, talk them out of it. Um, Obviously, there are some doctors who are doing it because they still think that it's the right thing to do, which sucks. But um, it almost, it's one of those things that we were talking about earlier. reminded me of like the abortion stuff, like when it's legal and doctors can do it. It's almost less likely to happen than when it's yeah. not legal and you have to find it elsewhere. Yeah, I know there's also an element of um, of removing any female enjoyment of sexual practices from it. That's a yes. lot of the reason. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, like preserving childlike images is, is important there yeah. because as soon as they also like will flatten breasts yeah. because if their daughter grows them, they're going to start to get male attention right. no matter how old they mm-hmm. are. And that's scary. And I should mention too that it is an illegal practice in Egypt. Um, They do have fines and um, jail time for it, but they—I don't think anyone yet has been jailed or fined for this practice yet. But that is, but that is in their their laws. Yeah. So it's mostly just trying to educate and get the word out, and yeah let people know that this really isn't a of a religious practice that it's no, just they used to call it what do they call it female circumcision too that's what they not, call it all the isn't at all yeah. it's mm-hmm. not at all yeah 
unless circumcising is cutting a whole ass dick mm-hmm. off, which it's not. Right. So this that's the problem. We we changed the verbiage to female genital mutilation to mm-hmm. try to make it harmful. But the problem is, is that parents yeah. or even the girls themselves are like, oh, I haven't been circumcised yet or they need to be circumcised. Yep. So they are still using that verbiage as something that needs to be done. Yep. Yep. It's like uh, saying child pornography instead of yeah. child sex abuse material. Yeah. Similar. But uh, yeah. So, yeah, so I think that would fuck anybody up. It's really bleak. And then also yeah. being, like, raped by your father repeatedly. Yeah. So, needless to say, after she has this performed in a dirt hut, she mm-hmm. had no doctor. This was, like, a, like, village lady elder who just okay. did it on the floor. Any kind of sexual contact was excruciatingly painful. So, you know, being raped by her dad all the time afterwards was pretty fucking awful. Right. In a thousand and one ways. Eventually, Omaima's mother left her father and took Omaima to live in Cairo, more of a major city. Um, and while she was there, she had more of a childhood. Like, it was more normal. I would never call it totally happy because she still experienced sexual abuse at the hands of other, like, males. But again, as I mentioned, this is kind of a common problem in some areas in the country. So women are pretty devalued. Eventually... In 1986, Omaima met and married a man who happened to get a job in the United States. So she came here with a man because that allowed her to move. This marriage, however, was not a happy one. And within a few years, the pair had divorced. Omaima then made her way around the country before ending up in Southern California. She dated a string of the wrong men. And yes, she made some bad choices. But eventually, a stable older man with money, that would be Bill, swept her off her feet. But the sex bill forced on her relentlessly was excruciatingly painful, both physically and mentally. And now we can see exactly how bad that would have been. Mm-hmm. And it brought back all of the traumatic things that happened to her in her childhood. And Omaima became sort of a ticking time bomb of sadness and fury. Now, when her husband, Bill, lunged at her that Thanksgiving, trying to tie her up and rape her, she had basically just had enough, like shut it down. Then Omaima methodically described to the jury the entire event. Like the jury listened to her blow by blow, tell you exactly how it happened with the cannibalism left out, of course. <laughs> now, Omaima's defense after she speaks, which is pretty powerful, they then call upon her psychiatrist who claims that Omaima, because of the things she just talked about, was experiencing severe post-traumatic stress disorder which had put her into a psychotic state. And this is not a stretch. It does happen. Quote, when people have PTSD with psychosis, they can experience different types of psychotic symptoms alongside of the other symptoms of PTSD. This can include having positive and negative psychotic symptoms simultaneously with flashbacks and disassociation. So if you're flashing back to a traumatic event and also your brain is telling you that, you know, demons need you to do a certain thing, All of this can come together under a PTSD psychotic incident, basically. Her doctor described a woman in a psychotic fugue state where she had been reliving horrible abuse and then became convinced that she not only had to kill her husband, but she also had to dismember him. And there's a reason for that, too. The doctor says that, according to Omaima, she was doing this in a customs to, like, ancient Egyptian customs because in ancient Egyptian folklore... And I'm dumbing this all down to a few sentences. (laughs) Your body is a very important part of your journey to the afterlife. Your soul will enter your body again. 
it has to be preserved. Preservation is very important, hence all the mummies. Right. Right? So destroying her husband's body would ensure her that she would never have to meet up with him in the afterworld because his soul would have nowhere to go. His body would be destroyed. She would never see him in any form ever again. Okay. Really would have been better if she didn't say she was getting rid of fingerprints and facial features, but still. Okay. Well, I mean, she's also being logical. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And this is a whole lot of information for a jury to consider. In the end, Omaima was convicted of second-degree murder on January 12th, 1993 which is murder but not premeditated murder. She was sentenced to 27 years to life in prison. Omaima first became eligible for parole in 2006, and she, she went for it. She lobbied hard, but she was denied when, quote, commissioners found her unpredictable and a serious threat to public safety. Okay. She became eligible again in 2011, tried real hard again, but was denied yet again, citing that she had not taken responsibility for her murder, for the murder she committed, and would not be a productive citizen were she to be freed. And also during this time, she married a wealthy 70-year-old man from jail who then kicked the bucket and left her a whole lot of money. So that whole gold digger thing really came back to haunt her. Um, Yeah, but now she's set up. Yeah, but she's never going to get out. She will not be able to seek parole again in 2026, and I guess we'll see what happens at that time, though it does appear that the California um, government is not too eager to let her back Mm. out on the street. That is her story. So this is a weird one because she, she was convicted, but it was never a question whether she was guilty or not. She did it. We all know she did it. Right, right. I tend to think that this was a psychotic episode. Yeah, I think I okay. So I yes, psychotic episode. I would think that all of her years of abuse, and mm-hmm. then if depending on how many men it actually was, if she did do the like tied them up and tried to take their yeah, money, she definitely and did like some that. of that. So I would think that she might have thought about like what would it be like if I killed somebody, like if I had to kill them. I'm sure like thoughts of that came in but I feel like this was just something else yeah a a break I do wonder if she did do something similar though that instead of him wanting to tie her up maybe she tried to calm him down of his sexual like needs and was like hey how about we do something kinky and I'll tie you up and do this because he probably wouldn't have thought that she would have done anything with that but that would have to me, that would make more sense how a tiny little woman I could have I even totally stabbed agree. and gotten him if she was able to tie him up to begin with. And he, like, just let her do that. It wasn't a struggle. Yeah. I I agree with you. I think that perhaps there was some malice aforethought. Maybe she was like, oh, I'm going to tie him up and take his money and leave. I don't like how he's been treating me. Yeah. But then some sort of thunderstorm in her brain mm-hmm. happened and it all went south but see i think with this one i think she would have known like i couldn't just leave he'd find me. yeah that's possible. so i can still see that there being a break yeah but her like defense mechanism is just like i know how to like i know how to get out of this and how to get out of this is to like act sexy get him yeah. tied up and then well just this, go crazy this guy was also probably her father's age 
or there around. Yeah. If something's going to trigger that in you, mm-hmm. it's going to be this drastically especially, older man forcing you into sexual situations that you find painful. Especially if he's like saying, if he did say those things, like you're my property. Yeah. Like, I own you. I'm sure her father's the same shit. Exactly. So if anything is going to trip a wire, it's going to be that specific situation. At yeah. least it seems, that's what it seems like to me. Mm-hmm. So should she be like released out into the world? I don't know that I would say that. I think I don't know that I would say that either because if she is not owning up to any of it, yeah, really, then, then I would, I feel like she's not better. But if she's just in jail and not getting the psychiatric mm-hmm. help that she needs, then I don't know. But I don't know. I mean, sometimes I believe that you can't fix it. I agree. And, but the, and with she, her, it seems that they really haven't tried. But exactly. Because she's exactly. just in a correctional facility. Mm-hmm. She's never been in like a hospital setting for mm-hmm. a, a, an amount of time, which I do think she should have had. Right. I do think she should have been treated. I think that she is still believing, which is fine because she hasn't been really rehabilitated. Right. So I think that she's still believing that what she did was out of self-defense. Yeah. And until somebody can really break through to her and say that what has happened to you in Mm -hmm. your life is not your fault. Yeah. Then I don't know that she can own up to it because as of right now, it is just self-defense to her. But then, yeah, I wouldn't trust her out there with anybody else. Exactly. Because she's not in a place to not do that again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's complicated. It is complicated and it's very sad. It is very sad. In the end, because of what happened to her Mm -hmm. when she was younger, I do you think she deserves treatment? Yeah. And unfortunately, very traumatizing to Nelson's family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody wins anywhere no. and stuff like this. But the, but I mean, also, this was a pretty highly publicized case. And mm-hmm. this stuff was all over the news media. And to have that be like your father or your estranged husband or your mm-hmm. son or whatever, that's that's got to be horrible. Yeah. It's got to make your life very complicated. Yeah. I'm sure Robert Hansen's just like, oh, thank God she just pistol whipped me. Not only am I involved with this woman who ate her husband, but also I have the same name <laughs> as an Alaskan serial killer. That's the one that our photo suites, the guy with like the fish, right? We didn't cover Robert Hansen. Oh, we didn't cover no, him. No, we will. He's the, the butcher baker. He's oh. the one that like hunted women down like elk. The butcher, right? Pretty right. rough. Okay. Um, we'll cover him eventually. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild ride. <gasps> okay. So, toast? Toast. Ooh. I know. <laughs> like, I don't know who is okay here. So, um, to Jose, who called the damn cops. Sure, yeah. But was still sensitive about ushering her out of his home. Yeah. Handled it very well. I think he I did would too. say. Yeah. So to him. To Jose. And the end. <laughs> yeah, there really isn't many more. The psychiatrist that came in? I don't know. Sure. They tried real hard. They tried real hard. Right. Tried real hard to get her help. They sure did. So in one of her final statements, Omaima said, quote, If I didn't defend my life, I would have been dead. I'm sorry it happened, but I'm glad I lived. Yes. So, if we ever threaten the life of a woman with nothing to lose, we We would be be dead. dead.
Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. My sleeve is full of tiny magicians, and when I let them out, they do tricks.